The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. We are live. All right. I am Bill Amadeo from Manison Amadeo and Grable Associates. Definitely Grable Associates today. And the Shiawassee Six. I am exhausted, guys. Um, jury just came back. Proud to say we got a not guilty verdict. And I just want to say a couple of things so people ask me to speak on it briefly. Um, in this particular case, I think the prosecutor is a rising star, and I think she's an excellent prosecutor. This one could have went either way. And there's so much hostility with certain prosecutors right now. Um, I will say this individual is great, and she's going to be great. She's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, I just want to take a step back because a few people asked me to jump on today and I'm exhausted. I'm going to go home. I'm going to see the kid and pet the dog and watch baseball with Jewel against her will. <laughs> that will be that. But I want to take a thank you moment here. So Scott Grave, I'm glad to see you out there, man. <sighs> Whenever a jury comes back not guilty... It's always a good feeling when you're on this side of the V. And if it wasn't for Scott, you know, I know I wouldn't be here today. So I'm really appreciative of that. Um, more than you know. I know this is my life's work. And today was rough. A good friend of mine told me once, if you're not exhausted after a trial, you did it wrong. And let me just tell you, I guess I did it right because I am absolutely exhausted right now. But uh, the professionalism in this court, we went at each other, we did it in a very professional manner. And there's going to be some cases in the near future where it's not going to be like that. And I will say, this prosecutor is a class act, and as I said, she will be a force to be reckoned with. And I don't say it about a lot of people right now. But um, I'm glad we got the win. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I advised the client on this case to take an offer which would have been a guarantee of no jail and no record, and he didn't want to do it. And I told him the pros and cons, and remember this, we work for them, they don't work for us. He wanted to go to trial, and he was right, and the prep went into it, and um, here we are. So, mainly, first person I called, um, actually called on the phone, was Scott, because, you know, this was a case that Grable and Associates put me on. And I'll say this with that firm, and I want everybody to hear this, because when I'm on that team, there's an amazing support staff. Tim Doman's an amazing motion writer. Scott Grable's the most knowledgeable guy of criminal in the state of Michigan, in my opinion. And I guess I'm a workhorse, and together we make a solid team, but I'm part of the process there. And if Scott Grable didn't see me, at the Chase Bank building in Boji Taylor back in 2015, I don't think I'd be doing this today. So, I'm really happy for the client. I have a lot of respect for the prosecution, and I'm very grateful to Scott and Grable and Associates. This was a Grable and Associates win, not a Bill Amadeo win. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit. On Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios, here's attorney Bill Amadeo. What the hell is it with me in garage sales? I gotta stop, right? 
And look, I'll be the first to admit, the card obsession that McMaster Amadeo has gotten out of control. Some of you guys know me, and you know, it's a pretty cool story how I sold all my baseball cards to buy my aunt and mom the first house, put down payment on the house, and trying to relive that lately, we've gotten into the whole card collecting thing, but I mean, it's out of control now. You know, it's just, it's nuts. I mean, you know you have a problem when it's 12.30 at night and you're texting Matt, hey, I got a lead on that Cal Ripken PSA 9 from 82 Flare. I don't know. Today was no different. You guys know the famous Shiawassee garage sale story. This was not anywhere near as bad, but still a fail. I saw Aaron Abera make a little comment there about another garage sale. At least Aaron didn't mock me for not finding food like she did in Charlevoix, but thank you, Aaron. Um, yes, garage sales are not the move, clearly. This guy had some cards and he wanted full market value plus, so I appreciate that, but I can get that on the baseball card exchange, right? And the fact that I know there's other places to buy these cards means I do have a problem. It's out of control. It's completely out of control. And be careful on eBay when you're buying cards. Last night, I found an 85 Topps wax box for 85 bucks. Let me tell you something. You get an 85 Topps wax box for 85 bucks, you buy that. You don't think twice about it, right? Read the fine print. It was just the box, not the packs of cards. Reminds me of this guy I grew up with. I wanted to buy an 84 Donruss Don Mattingly once, right? And the card's value was $60. And he said, well, I should give him $200 because Mattingly's going to have a good year. It's going to go up in value. That's like saying my stocks go up in value, so pay me 10 times the amount. I don't know. The whole baseball card thing. Let me stop. They're convinced I'm crazy already. Today we're going to talk about Scott Grable and the smart-ass commentary that came up the other day. Um, I'm going to just explain my disgust with Popeye the Sailor Man. Uh, we'll get into that. And um, a day in Detroit. <laughs> I probably do need to go to Baseball Cards Anonymous. You know, I'm... I'll tell you this, though, Joe. I found some information... Oh, Alright, let me, let me just get to the stop. Let me stop. Because I gotta remember, I see Joe Abera there and I get comfortable and I start talking, but, you know, Joe, there's some things you and I should talk about not on Facebook Live, right? It's just... Man, there's a lot of things about me and I appreciate not burying me, but with that being said, we don't need to expose all my crazy on Facebook Live today. We can text about that. So I'm gonna shut up now and move on to the story. Anyway, before Krim Law started, I was tutoring a lot, and tutoring, I don't know, I got out of law school in 2008, and I went to Jersey, and I passed the bar, and I'm working with this firm, and the firm screwed me and a bunch of associates over, I come back to Lansing, and the economy sucks, and Cooley would not give me a job for $15 an hour, don't forget that, I mean, there, there's some anger at Cooley Law School, I can get into that, that's another time, but... I start this tutoring company. I got really good at the tutoring thing. The problem with the tutoring issue was it was guaranteed money 
when the students weren't screwing you over stiffed. But um was guaranteed money and I was supporting Antmare. So you're in this catch twenty two, the economy sucked, and usually as a lawyer, unless you have family connections or you move into a plush firm right away, there's like this eighteen month window I would say. Where it's gonna be rough. And I endured that eighteen month window. But I couldn't do that when Aunt Mary was alive. I was paying her house and everything for those 18 months when Hurricane Sandy hit. So I started tutoring like a madman. It was guaranteed money. You didn't have your 18-month window there. And one of the places I tutored was Boji Tower. Boji Tower is in Lansing, right? And Scott Grable has a nice office in Boji Tower. And I used to pay Scott rent to tutor in his office. And, um, you know, the tutoring time, you ever watched the five-year engagement? I look at it like that was my five-year engagement time period, right? Here's what I mean. I had a beard. I had flannel shirts. I was not in shape. I'm drinking two monsters a day. And I am tutoring like a madman. And Scott Grable the other day says to me, hey, we got to get the misdemeanor trial fee from this client. And I said, how much is the trial fee? And he goes, 1500 1000 for you, 500 for me. And I said, woohoo, $1,000. That might get me a box of 83 Topps Baseball, LOL. And Scott was hurt. There's a few things that bothered Scott about that statement. One... I know more about the baseball card industry than him now, which is sad on my end. Two, that I papooed $1,000 for one day at work. And Scott Grable replied, you ungrateful bastard. If it wasn't for me, you'd be tutoring students in my office wearing a flannel shirt. And he's right, because I was tutoring students in a flannel shirt in the office. What happened, guys, and that's a good story. You've heard this one before. I would be tutoring, right? And Winnie Rich, I love Winnie. Winnie's like a big sister. Winnie Rich is one of Scott Grable's case managers. And Winnie would see me in this office tutoring. She'd see me there 6 o'clock in the morning. She'd see me there 10 o'clock at night. And she says to Scott Grable, holy shit, we got to put this guy on criminal law cases. At the time, I don't know criminal law. And Winnie said, you are the hardest work I ever saw. You'll learn it. You'll make a lot of money. You'll be highly successful. I don't know Krim. So Scott Grable, who was like a big brother, arguably my closest friend, he sees me there with the flannel shirt, unkempt, sucking on a monster, putting in 18-hour days, doing multiple choice with students, and Scott Grable said, listen to Winnie, we got to put Bill Amadeo on criminal law. And the rest is kind of history. So, Scott Grable, I'm sorry I mocked the $1,000 misdemeanor trial fee. And I'm sorry I equate it to a box of 1983 Tops Baseball. But I am eternally grateful to you. You changed my career, you changed my life. And I may be back tutoring in your office with a flannel shirt on if Winnie Rich didn't see my work ethic. So... I didn't mean to mock you. I'm sorry. You know, as arrogant as Scott is, he's highly sensitive. You gotta be careful with that, man. 
and you just gotta watch it. He's he's a gentle, he's a delicate flower. That's what you are, Scott. Scott Grable is a delicate flower. I hope. Hope he's listening to that. And thank you for the opportunity. You're my boy. I was watching Popeye the other night. I don't get it. You ever watch... There's this new channel, Tubi or whatever, and it's on... Um, Tubi is on your apps. You got your Amazon Prime, your Netflix, this and that. So, I'm up late working. Oh, shit, Popeye. I loved Popeye the Sailor Man as a kid. You know, and... You're watching this show now. In your mid-40s. And I hate doing this sometimes. You ever gone back to watch a show you liked as a kid, and now as an adult, you're saying stuff, what the hell's going on here? I had this issue with Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget's a moron, right? Penny and Brain saved the day, and he's this renowned investigator. There's so many criminal jokes to make right there, I'm going to stop. I'm watching Popeye the Sailor Man. And Popeye and Brutus also known as Bluto, are constantly fighting over olive oil. And I gotta tell you, I'm sorry. I was never physically attracted to olive oil. I don't get it. And not that Popeye and Bluto are looking guys, but I mean, these two are going to war over her. I mean, Bluto's beating Popeye's ass, then he sucks down his spinach, his arms get really juiced up, he beats the hell out of Bluto, he gets the girl... And you got these wimpies there. And wimpy, like, what's the point of wimpy? I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. I gotta tell you something. Wimpy clearly grew up in South Jersey. Because what they're going to do in South Jersey is they'll take your money for the burger. And then when you become successful, they'll say you don't need that money back. So thank you for the burger. Kiss my ass. Not that I'm taking it personal or anything, but it kind of hit home. Wimpy, Popeye, olive oil, Bruce. I don't get it. The whole point of Popeye the Sailor Man was this weird-looking guy. He eats his spinach. He fights the guy that's bigger than him to get the girl. And the girl is olive oil. I don't know. Just kind of soured me. You're fighting over olive oil? And you can't beat him if you don't eat your spinach. Which makes it really question what was in the spinach in the first place, but... Let's move on to a day in Detroit. <sighs> Something about Detroit just always feels like home. I got that. And I had quite a day in Detroit, right? I had to go to Lincoln Hall. That's where juvenile cases are. I hit 36th District. That's a district court. Hit Frank Murphy. And Detroit is always a different animal. And there's some amazing judges amazing lawyers in Detroit, but let me just say this. It's a different mindset in Detroit. Detroit is like the Wild West. The way you behave in Detroit would never be acceptable in Lenaway or Shiawassee. Every county has its own different concept, right? A different language everywhere you go. The thing I love about Detroit is I could be Jersey Bill and it's just, it's cool. 
Now, the local lawyers get pissed off because you're coming and taking work from them. It's like you're invading the territories or something like Vince McMahon in the 80s. Wrestling joke. Somebody will get that. But it's just, it's a relaxed atmosphere. I've had my capital cases out there. Well, my first big trial out there. I love Detroit. What sucks about Detroit, and yes, Josh Champlain, I do want to do a lot when you get your baseball cards. What sucks about Detroit is every time I go to the D, like clockwork, and this is just life, you know? Life is painful. And people you connect with, those ultra experiences, when they leave you, it's easy to be better. This is from the speed from the heart thing now that Mike Picotney always talks about. When I go to Detroit, the first thing I do, I look for Danielle Cattere. I look for Red. I forget she's gone. And I'm going to tell you guys something. And you may not know this about Danielle. But let me educate you on Danielle. Danielle did not make monster money. Danielle did not have a top 10 website. Danielle was not known by everybody outside of Detroit. She was a Wayne County girl through and through. But Danielle Cateret, in my opinion, was the best trial lawyer I've ever had the privilege of watching and learning from. And you didn't know it. You know, you didn't know it outside of Wayne County. Because I wish Danielle had more confidence in herself. Because the Danielle Cateret at Frank Murphy Hall of Justice was not the same Danielle Cateret in, you know, Monroe County. We worked a couple cases out there. She was talented, but behind the scenes of other county. In Detroit, Danielle felt at home. And, you know, in this field, we do things differently. We just do. My reputation has always been one of a higher level than Danielle. I don't want to call bullshit on that thing and tell you Danielle Cattery was a better lawyer than me. There's no question about it. The reason you may not know the name Danielle Cattery is because she never wanted to really be in the spotlight. As opposed to some of us that have attention needs and our attention whores. I'm a great violator of that. But Danielle, man. Fiery red hair, flipping it in your face, telling you she knew this case for anybody else. Danielle Cateret was a cut above. And goddamn do I miss Danielle every day. But when I'm in Detroit, it hits hard. When I'm in Detroit, I find myself going to my phone and texting Danny. And you realize after a minute, oh shit, she's not going to reply because she's gone. Such a special lawyer. And Frank Murphy has always been the Yankee Stadium of criminal defense. And she was such a huge part of that 
So after you compose yourself and you're texting Danielle and realizing she can't respond, unfortunately, you um you head in the court. I left Lincoln Hole, I left 36th District, and we had this idea. To save money on parkings, I don't, you know, money's not a big thing, but hey, Detroit parking's a pain in the ass. So I park at Greek Town Casino. Now, many times at Greek Town, parking's free. Not today. As I pull in, the gate's up, but this woman comes running after me. Screaming, I have to pay $10. Okay, I'll pay the $10. So you drive up through Greek Town, and there is this kind of weird dynamic of the parking, right? You gotta make sure you don't get hit. And you go park like the seventh floor in the public area. And you walk out, and you see this breakup in action. This guy and girl at 9.15 in the morning are having this screaming match. And here's this guy. He's got a torn shirt. And he's blowing his nose in his hand, driving a Cadillac. And he says to her, girl, you're never going to do better than me. And she screams, I know, I know, take me back. And I'm just watching this, right? And I don't know. It's just really weird. And they're staring at you. Oh, what are you looking at us? I, how could I not? So after you leave the relationship drama, you take go downstairs and you go to your case. Now, my case was before one particular judge. And this is just a day at the Murph, right? My case is before one particular judge, but that judge changed his docket with another judge. So you move from your judge's courtroom to the other judge's courtroom. And then when you get to the other judge's courtroom, you find out the judge that you got reassigned to the case has now retired. So then you go down to the basement to see who's replacing the retired judge. Okay. You go down there, and you're told now that your 9.30 will not go off till 10.30, and you explain to the clerk, I have another case I gotta handle at 10.30 on Zoom. And they tell you that's your problem. This is Detroit, guys. So you're double fisting. And I got this time to kill, and I'm calling clients, I'm texting, I'm trying to call the other court, I'm supposed to Zoom, and blah, blah, blah. And I go down in the basement, G, floor G. And you're down there, and I'm thinking back to Pete Winter. My earliest days with Pete Winter were when we were going to Detroit together. And one day, Pete Winter sees this lawyer in the basement, right? And I, I care for Pete Winter, but Pete Winter had a way of belittling you for no reason at all. And this one day, he's belittling me. He's like, ah, oh, look at that lawyer. It was an older lawyer. He's going right in the back to get the discovery and talk to the prosecutor. You're not shit, Bill. Totally on that lawyer's level. And I'm sitting there like, whoa. Now, Pete's my mentor at the time. And I'm like, wow, he's right. That older lawyer's down in the basement. And he's sitting there, and he's walking right in the back. 
I want to be that guy one day. Dare to dream. Two weeks later, I'm back in Detroit. And I'm talking to the prosecutor on my case. And she says to me, hey, meet me down in the basement to pick up your discovery. So we learned, despite Pete Winter's infinite wisdom, that it wasn't because this lawyer was such so great an experience. It's just where you pick up discovery in Wayne County. So I think back and I laugh about that. Other things were happening that day in Detroit. There's a water fountain. And there's a sign on the water fountain. And it says, stop using. It does not work. Now, right there, you gotta think to yourself. They're telling you not to use the water fountain because it doesn't work. And I'll be damned if I didn't see three lawyers hitting the side of that water fountain trying to get it to work. And I'm staring at these guys like this blank look on my face, my mouth's open. And the one lawyer looks at me and goes, what? I'm thirsty. I said, it says the fountain doesn't work. What are you doing? And he kept saying how he was thirsty. Okay. Then you walk around in the basement and there's this bench. And the sign on the bench says, jurors only can sit here. Do not sit here unless you're a juror. And I see four lawyers sitting there on the bench, which I'll have to sit on. Then you look right across and there's a DNA office. And it says DNA not available till 2.30. It is now 9.45. And you're rushed with these emotions. You know, I'm in Detroit. It was a great day, right? I mean, amazing result for the client. I always love being in Detroit. It's something special. But I got to think to myself. I get chased by a parking attendant. I'm reminiscing about Pete Winter telling me I didn't know about where to pick up Discovery. I'm watching lawyers try to force water out of dead water fountains. I'm seeing lawyers disregard signs. Thankfully, my client didn't need any DNA testing that day. And I can't help thinking of Danielle Cabaret. It was a day in the D. And when you left Detroit that day, you headed back to Washington. It's almost like you morph into a different personality. There is something so refreshing and calming about the most chaotic court in the state. I'm always biased to Shiawassee. I love Shiawassee. I feel like a Shiawassee person. I really do. Shiawassee is my favorite county for so many reasons. And Washington's home. But Wayne County is just special. Wayne County is where men can be men. You can just let it rip. It doesn't matter if the lawyer's wearing $1,000 shoes or they're wearing sneakers. You can fight. You can be free. And you learn when you leave that freedom, you morph into a different personality. Something about Detroit. I will tell you, nobody was the more quintessential Detroit lawyer than Danielle Cattery. So, didn't mean to make this an emotional thing. You know, we were bitching about baseball cards and joking about Scott Grable. And I was yapping about pot pie, but it really did hit me, man. You don't know her name. 
but you should. And unfortunately, you won't be seeing any new trials with Danielle because she passed away way too young. But there was never a better trial lawyer than Danielle Cattering. And Danny, if you're watching this, thank you for everything you taught so many of us. You are dearly missed, my friend. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates and Six. Chi-Town Six. Interesting stuff in Shiawassee right now, huh? Anyway... Um, it's interesting. A few things hit me this morning. I'm in the gym and I'm doing some trial prep. And just kind of in like this bizarre type of situation. And I guess speaking from the heart is important. Because some of the things that happen when we were teenagers, they never leave us, right? get money change your appearance success whatever it is that trauma sometimes it doesn't leave us and i was talking to somebody after midnight i was talking to somebody before 8 a.m this morning what i've learned in my life maybe you guys can relate to this but the people that you text with before working hours and the people that you text with after everybody else is asleep in the world there are those powerful people you connect with. They're the ones you have that insane connection with. It could be friendships. It could be lovers. Whatever it is, guys, in your own subjective world. But they're the ones that, in some ways, you have a subconscious connection with. And you will say things to them you may not share with other people. And it got me thinking about friendships. And... You know, trauma is no joke. And trauma comes in many forms. And I do see a lot of people that have never really had the walls caved in. And when they never had the walls caved in, when life punches them in the face, they don't know how to react. Then there's other ones. We understand what it's like to be punched in the face. We understand what it's like to be walking back to your corner and be punched in the back of the head. And how do you react to that? I mean, your first instinct, hopefully, is to fight back. But then how you fight back. That's what's fascinating. And I'm on the phone this morning with a lawyer. It's a lawyer from the suburbs. And, you know, i got to tell you something. I know it's ironic that I live in a wealthy neighborhood. I know it's ironic that I am no longer an inner city kid. But I think in my heart of hearts... I am still the inner city kid. And sometimes, because I deal with so many people from the suburbs, when I get a cocky person from the suburbs on the phone, and I'm trying to be reasonable, I go back to the preppy kids in high school. I go back to the Ventnor and Margate assholes. And I want to choke this guy out, right? And I got to watch what I say, because I realize, number one, he's probably recording me, and I'm recording him, 
and I don't want to say something stupid that's going to hurt my client's case or get me set up for a grievance, and I want to set him up to say something stupid, so I'm putting on this role. I want him to know that I have some inner city crazy. I could come out. I also got to make him realize I'm smarter than him. And this is all this big show to help a client. And I start wondering where this all came from. How did this all evolve? For better and or for worse. And guys, we lose ourselves in shit. We just do. And I'm going to get to a story from my senior year of high school. Because some of the things that happened in our youth set the tone for so many things that happen later in life, right? And we lose ourselves sometimes. We lose ourselves in people. We lose ourselves in relationships. We lose ourselves in religion, sports, gambling, drugs, whatever it is. We're all looking for something. And those formative years, they basically set the guides for what's going to happen. Senior year of high school, man, oh god, it was a different time period, right? You know, and I'm this poor white kid from inner city, Atlantic City, and again, I'm going to mention this, and those of you that watch me have heard me yap about this before, but Atlantic City High was segregated, not just upon race, social economics. Fetner and Margate were the chosen ones. They were the white affluent kids. Atlantic City were the poor minorities. And there were several white ones that were there. But for the most part was poor minorities. And Brigantine was like the poor white kids with a mix of diversity. So wealth went this way and poverty went that way. And it was very interesting being white and being in poverty at that time. And senior year, things start to change a little bit. And when I say they start to change, you know, we've known each other four years now, and some of us longer, and certain ones of those few white kids and the Asian kids that were poor in Atlantic City have started to become accepted on some level by the Bettner and Margate kids. For me, I guess a level of acceptance came through mock trial. I made the mock trial team, which was a huge deal. And I realized the people on mock trial, they appreciated my talent and it would help them advance their college resumes, but they weren't friends. Let's be clear, they were not friends. So while we may have high-fived after going to a state tournament or whatever, at the end of the night, I was going home. And at a very young age, thanks to Mom, thanks to Aunt Mare, thanks to Miss Gandia, I start saying to myself, you know, they're using me to help advance their life. I'm going to use them to help advance mine. And when I say use them, theory I take in the court every day. I knew I had to walk home to a war zone, right? Willow Avenue in Atlantic City was a goddamn war zone. 
Don't tell me it was unless you lived it. And Mock Trial, to me, was an escape on several levels. One, I didn't view anybody on the Mock Trial team as a physical threat. Nobody was going to get you with a switchblade on the Mock Trial team, right? So it was safety. Two, I realized I had this knack. This knack to control the room. This knack to take things over. So I saw Mock Trial as my way out of Ducktown. Other people, it was about finding their first loves and drinking and smoking weed and experiencing all the things that young people seem to experience. Things I wasn't allowed to experience and thank you Aunt Mary Mom for not allowing me to do such. But there's this party. And when I say there were very few white kids in the inner city, there weren't many. But some of us had graduated, if you would, to this level of acceptance with the Ventnor Margate kids. And some of us didn't. Some of us wanted that longing of acceptance. The living in the two worlds was just brutal, and some of us did not. I was a big proponent of the one that was not into it. At this point of life, I kind of understood things weren't going to come easy, but they were going to come. And it wasn't going to be in high school. I start learning things about myself. Um, the pretty Margate girl may be into me, but not in front of her friends. The brutality of Atlantic City, you found ways to survive that. And here's this party, and this is the party of all parties. And the invitations are coming out. And people are so excited. Oh my god, I got invited to this party. And I didn't get the invite. And several of my friends didn't get the invite. And um, these guys are taking it really hard. I didn't get an invite. And they're like almost emotional and crying. They're like, did you get one, B? No. And I said to them, why do you want to go to that party? I'm just curious. These people feel they're better than us, right? And the only way to even the score, in my opinion, is we outwork and become more successful than them. They want to throw you some crumbs. What do you care? At this point, at 17 years of age... I'm seeing the big picture, and the big picture was I'm not longing for their acceptance anymore. Fuck them. It, it's done. You didn't want me. I don't want you. That's just where I'm at with shit, right? And these guys, they're not there. And there's this one girl I'm talking to. And I just got my car. And I said to her, hey, do you want to go out Friday night? And she told me no. She got invited to the party. And let me tell you about this girl. She was one of us in a way. And she wanted to go to the party where the rich kids were. She wanted to hook up with the college kids, which would be CSC3s. They would all digress. She wanted to do all those cool things. And I am still the poor white kid from the inner city. So she said, hey, nothing personal, B. I really like you, but... I have a chance to be with them. Okay. 
it's that moment when like the cold water splashes on your face. You're like, huh. So even this girl who I'm connected to thinks the grass is greener over there. How do you process that as a 16 year old kid? The rejection. You're not invited to the party. The girl you like likes you, but she likes them better. They're option one, you're option two. And I go home, I tell Aunt Mara about it. I tell Gandhi about it, Miss Gandhi, I'm like, hey, go uh, practice your mock trial because this is all bullshit and this is what's important. Understood. You know, in the time of being depressed and feeling awkward and secure, that was over now. I, I was a man, a young man, but I'm a man. And I'm laughing about it. I'm thinking, okay, you know what? One day in the future, I'm not going to want to hang with you. And you got this point. And when I'm telling you my crew, and I'm not even, I don't know if crew is the right word, but the guys that were not invited to this party, they were devastated. Because it was like a draft, right? And some people finally found their levels of acceptance, and then this group didn't. And they're all told about how sad and depressed they are, but they're going to meet at one of our friends' house. We're going to have our own party. B, why don't you come? I mean, at this point, I gotta be real. I wanted to stay home, study, stick into the outside to work out, watch TV. Guys, I'm kind of checked out at this point. But you know, you get to that point when you're checked out, but people you care about are not checked out. And you're seeing these people you care about being really morbidly depressed. Even to the point where suicide was not that much of a reach. And they asked me to come to this party, the backup party, in inner city, Atlantic City. And I'm realizing at this moment, I guess I should go, because maybe I was meant to say something inspirational. I don't know. I'm kind of in my own world, because I realize this shit's going to stop soon, and I'm seeing my path out, but maybe my friends there didn't see that path out so i agree i'll meet you on chelsea avenue at my friend's house and they wanted liquor now i don't drink and i've never drank complete straight edge no drinking no pot no drugs however there was a bar choo choo's which was right next to where i lived and I knew I could go in there and get liquor. That was no problem. I mean, they served... I think their most of their clientele was underage. So the crew asked me to bring liquor. Okay. I'll get liquor, guys. If it makes you happy, I'll get liquor. So I go over to the house with the liquor. And... They're all sitting there talking about how amazing that party is in Margate, how they wish they were there. And I kid you not, when I tell you in my backpack with the liquor, I brought my mock trial book and I just start studying. This is where my mind is now. Like, everything was secondary to mock trial. I, and they said, you brought your book to study? And I said, well, I kind of knew you guys would be talking about that shit over there. And I knew you wanted liquor, you're going to be drunk. So I start to study because I figured I'd have something to do. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but you know. And um, 
and I see two of the guys, I start crying. And I put my book down. Like, alright guys. Why are you really crying right now? And this is weird, because we're white from Atlantic City. So, on our face, we're supposed to have edge. We're just, it's part of the requirement. If we don't have edge, what the hell do we have back then? You can't show vulnerability. You can't be soft. We're supposed to have this hardened shell and accept it and embrace that. That's what we're supposed to do. This is how we get back at these people. We outwork them. We're tougher than them, right? Follow me here, guys. And I'm seeing these devastated children, of which I am a child then. And, <laughs> good point, it's true. And I'm saying, you know what? Let's break shit down. The depression was real. And I start talking things up. And I say something really motivational. I want you guys to think about what we have endured. I want you to look around these city streets. And I want you to realize they could never live that life. We could live a lifetime in Margate. But Margate couldn't last a month where we're at. So we push through this shit. We find our way. We find our niche. We're gonna be good. Fuck them. We're fine. Because we got this emotional currency inside that they could never even comprehend what that means. You know, they're gonna be college guys, fucking high school girls, and they're going to be smoking weed, and daddy and mama get them out of their OUILs, and all these other things. We're going to set the tone. We're going to be the trailblazers if we can mentally get through this shit. So let's do that. Let's find our path. We're good. And everybody in that room bought into what I said. And they were happy and confident. And they were following my lead. And at this point, I am now the leader of this group. And as me being the leader, I'm building their confidence. They're becoming cocky. They're getting their way. And Miss Gandia has pat me on the back because that's what they needed. Okay. And the powers that be... The suburban kids. I'm like this. Because there's one thing that people can't stand in life. And it's something Jerry Dowdy taught me. When you change your pattern, people lose their shit. And when I preach to my friends that we are not a caste system, we can set the tone for things, this surge of confidence comes. And the powers that be were not happy. And I'm going back to doing what I do. And one Thursday night, before mock trial practice, I am in Miss Gandy's classroom, and Miss Gandy always worked late, and I had the key to the office. 
and I was kind of one of the chosen ones from Miss Gandea's crew. And I'm working on my mock trial, and I'm writing an article for the Viking, and I'm doing my thing. And two of the assholes come up, because they had crew practice. And crew practice ended before mock trial practice started. So these two good-looking Morrigate kids that think they were God's gift to the world, which, by the way, go to their Facebook page, they were wrong. They come up to me in Miss Gandia's classroom. And one says, B, can we talk? Now, let me be clear on that B thing. <clears throat> People that shorten my name from William or Bill to B... They are people that have earned the right to do that. And what these people were doing by calling me B was they were trying to connect with me for a minute. Not because they liked me. They viewed me as a threat. And they could see the people that were not invited to this party had this new surge of energy. They had this new feeling about themselves. Sadly, it was temporary. But I'm the reason for that. I'm the one that's saying, hey, these crew guys, don't they're assholes. And it's going to come out in the wash. We just got to get through the goddamn wash. We're good. And, um, one of them says to me, you know, brigantine girls are really into you in a big way, and I just felt you should know that. And he pats me on my left shoulder. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Brigantine girls are really into you. We've heard so many at these parties of how cute they think you are and how you're so cool. And, you know, you'd be really well at Brigantine girls. <laughs> and I start laughing. Let me explain to you what that comment meant. What they were telling me at 17 years old that I picked up on that most 45-year-olds could not pick up on was that in my little world, I could have a level of power. I could drive to Brigantine and hook up with those girls, and it's like you're throwing me crumbs off the table. And those Brigantine girls, they love talking up the Margate guys because they thought that was a higher level, but I would be very acceptable to fit in with Brigantine girls. Thank you so much, guys. And Miss Candy is watching this as the one guy who was the king of the class tells me that brigantine girls are really into Bill Amadeo. And I look at them and I reply, you know, Margate girls go for me in a big way too. They just do it behind closed doors. <clears throat> and there's like this stunned silence. Cause now these cool crew guys don't know if I'm hooking up with their girlfriend. And I just said something which was a shockwave to the high school cast system. Margate girls go for me in a big way too. They just do it behind your goddamn back. And now it's clear. I have declared to them, I am a threat to your world. And this is how I feel every time a suburban lawyer tries to belittle one of my clients. I want that individual to know I am a threat to everything you think you have. It goes back to that day in a way. 
And the one guy says to me, he tries to muscle me, and he's much bigger than me at this point. I mean, they're juicing. I'm working out. They're taking steroids. And he goes, oh, you better be careful what you're saying. And I take them both to the window. And I said, guys, I want you to look out there. And I'm pointing to inner city Atlantic City. Because remember, we go home different directions. And I said, I go home to that shit every day. I want you to think about that. That's real. So if you're trying to scare me, I want you to understand something. I go home to that every day. And if I go home to that every day, and I've survived that, what the fuck do you think you're going to do to me? So if you want to go, we can go. Because this could never be that. And what I'm doing at this point is pissing on my territory and saying everything I told my crew that Friday night. And the girl I was so into is watching this. And she is completely in love with me at this point. And now I'm disgusted because she went to that party to go with me. So you could have her. And then Miss Scandia comes out. She says, Amadeo has to go to mock trial practice. And I said, yeah, guys. Amadeo's got to go to mock trial practice. Have a good night. And they leave. And Gandhi, Scandia was so amazing. She says to me, Amadeo, you're a funny boy. Go to practice. Yes, ma'am. When I think about Miss Gandia, she was viewed so differently by us, right? It's like the Margate and Ventnor kids viewed her as the angry black woman who wasn't good enough to be a Miss Shriven or in the AP class. And what we viewed her as was our role model and our savior because she was the one that told us that socioeconomic crisis will be temporary. She's the one that told us we were more talented than because the world doesn't know about it yet. So Miss Gandhi was my third mother. And Gandhi let that situation go as far as it would go till Gandhi called bullshit on it. I owe Miss Gandhi everything. I miss her every goddamn day. So, as far as those five that were at the party, what do you think about this? Life has not been kind to those other four. Because when they couldn't get me to throw in the towel, they went to them. And they took their crumbs. Whenever you take crumbs from somebody, you gotta remember something, man. They own you. Life, guys, you gotta take control of your own destiny. You have to. So, conversations I've had last night and this morning brought me to remembering this particular incident. And I'll just say, as we close, life is what we make it. We truly can control our own destiny. And I think we forget about that at times. Revenge is a powerful tool, but the timing's never right on it. So, to those five people, and the two that are still with us today, if you're watching this, guys, 
all you gotta do is snap your fingers because the talent's still there. And if you think they're better than you still, you're not looking through clear lenses. That's all I got today. Have a good weekend, guys. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.